are complex of occasions, themselves a geometry, spatial nature. I have this sense that I am one with my skin. Plus this, plus But it's kind of cool, like, that moment right when you got jobs lined up, but you're still technically unemployed, you can kind of, like, really savor those moments of, like, peace and, uh, you know, you know that it's, you know that you're gonna, you're gonna be into something soon. You can kind of savor it. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to really enjoy being unemployed when you're unsure what the prospects are. Yeah. I know. It's not, not a ton of fun. <clears throat> I remember when I was living in Wilmington, man, my first year of grad school, and I would literally apply to every single job that I saw. Like, <laughs> every single job. Um, this was like 2015 or twenty. 2014 probably and man it was the hardest thing to get a job there for some reason and the university stipend that they were giving us was just like scraps like no one could live on that even then they're still abysmal but uh i would just apply to everything and i finally got a job at the grocery store and it took the process alone of just getting like like applying to jobs and then actually starting the job which was at a grocery store you know was like four months man it was like insane it was crazy it shouldn't be that hard you know around here around here it's sort of the opposite problem is it's just that um almost anywhere will take you because all of the business all of the businesses here uh are really strapped for people so there's work to be had but a lot of it sucks so um yeah i don't know there's Um, just like a shortage well not really a shortage but since it's a rural area you know it's like they need workers that's kind of where they're at that's that's what it seemed like to me you you would think that that it could just as easily be like what you're talking about, which is that there's only so many places to work. So you better get your spot fast, but like there's places that will take you. It's just a question of what can you tolerate? Really? It's a, it's a bigger problem here for businesses to retain people. Um, I think that um, everybody is, kind of people do historically people have always in this area have always done what I'm kind of doing now, which is trying to keep their options a little bit flexible by stringing together a few part-time things instead of getting locked into one situation because it's all service work, hospitality work, um, kitchen work. It's all, it's all the stuff that's there. Um, to serve the tourists yeah they can they can turn on a dime you know you can be having a great time and then all of a sudden some asshole is now like 
your overlord and you just kind of, you know, I hated that. The grocery, the grocery store dynamics. That's like, to my extent, I worked at a grocery store for like four and a half years. I also worked at Lowe's Hardware and every time I would think I was going to like it, some shithead would then like boss me around and tell me to do something and I'd be like, uh, hate this. Yeah, it's very it's very touch and go. I'm 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 feel I'm pretty acclimated to that sort of thing at this point. And uh, yeah. the bar has been set low thanks to a series of past <laughs> jobs that I've had. So, um, what was the shittiest? Um. Well, when I were previously working uh, with tourists, I worked at the train station in Elkins, and it was a as a scenic train so people would come there and get a hotel and the train would take them out to see some scenic views and then they would bring them back and it was very feast or famine yeah so it, it would either be so slow that you could just feel your brain liquefying or it would be hundreds of people descending at one time and um it was always difficult to um make sure that everything was set up and in place to handle that volume of people and um tourists are just always people on vacation need help and they're bad at people you know it's hard you're looking be, for something yeah <laughs> it's, it's hard to be good at being on vacation uh, my friend chris i i've always admired his analogy which is which is that people on vacation are in the deep end and when you work in service and hospitality you're the lifeguard they've thrown themselves into the deep end yeah and they need you to pull them out of it they've traveled to some place where they probably didn't research it very well and of course, coming to West Virginia, they're expecting, you know, if they're coming from a more populated place, they're expecting goods and services that just aren't available here. Uh -huh. they're, uh, and a lot of times, like working at the train station, those people would come off the road just white as ghosts because they had never driven on mountain roads before and they weren't <laughs> expecting that. I don't know what they thought was what it, I don't know what it, what they thought it was going to be like. So um that could be pretty that can be pretty hellacious there was a, we did a christmas train it was like the licensed from warner brothers official polar express train that train companies can lease out the rights to so they can sell all of the merch wow. and so that would be like hundreds of parents and kids at one time like irate parents wearing christmas pajamas yelling <laughs> at you about how they showed up on the wrong day for their train and everything is sold out and so there's nothing you can do. You just have to tell them that they're fucked. That you have to tell them. You pretty much have to say Santa Claus isn't coming this year. Now hit yeah. the fucking road. You got to tell that to a forty year old in minion flippers, or slippers. <laughs> like, yeah. sorry, miss, but uh, you'll have to catch him next year. Yeah. Was the, so... was the train like a like what was the old train? Was it just like a trap, like a coal train, or no? Well, mostly the trains that uh leave from the station where i worked were like 40s era diesel engines okay that's sick so you know i've got i've got i've got some uh 
I've got some experience with it, so we'll we'll see what it's like. I I have uh, no interest in skiing, but uh, skiing doesn't really happen very much around here anymore because we don't really have real winters anymore. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, it's kind of. What do you think that pivot's going to be? You think they'll turn into like mountain biking, or like uh, only like seasonal uh, tubes? You know what I'm talking <laughs> about? Like that's one of the places, like in Boone has. I remember when I was growing up. It used to be a full-on ski resort, but now they've turned into like zip lines and fucking inner tubes. All that stuff like is already lines. here. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff is already here. So um, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the pivot is going to be in an in like an ever warming climate, <laughs> and because tourist economies are so unstable to begin with, um, you know, who knows? Yeah, yeah. The future is murky. Dude, there was one day at Lowe's Hardware. I worked there whenever I was 16, and then I worked there. I took a break my senior year, and then I went back whenever I was a freshman in college, and I worked the summer, and they used to give me the shittiest shifts. Like, I would work in the garden center from 11 a or sorry, 1 p.m. until 11 p.m., and uh, it would be like all weekend, you know, just that was my weekend. And this summer was like a really brutal summer. Like some summers in the mountains are like pretty temperate and mild with lots of rain. But this summer was just dry and it got so hot. And I swear to God, everyone was like coming to Lowe's to get straw out of the straw trailer which was just this semi trailer that was left beside the garden center just baking in the fucking sun and it was my job to go in with like a rake in my Lowe's vest and like bag all this shit up and um no one else would do it in the store just me like it was solely my job I watered the flowers and then I got shit out of the trailer for people who wanted it and I was like coming to work one day, like pretty hungover. And uh, I was like, had like a Gatorade in my hand. I was looking like pretty, pretty rough. And my boss, who was like a probably 36 year old man with like a, an Ellen DeGeneres haircut, like spiked <laughs> up, you know, he like approached me and was like, uh, glad you're here. You know, once you punch in, you can go, uh, someone's waiting on you by the straw trailer. There's <laughs> someone there. And I was like, you know, man, I'm just not really feeling this. And I, and I was like, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to, I'm going to go home. And then the next day I went backpacking with my friends on the Appalachian trail <laughs> and I never went back. <laughs> I just never yeah. told them anything. I just was, uh, I was not about to crawl through that trailer one more day, man. Um, in that in that heat i just needed someone to split the load with me but yeah i i will say that one of my favorite jobs that i've ever had was i used to live right around the corner uh and i mean not even right around the corner i, I used to work i worked a few seasons at a greenhouse and this greenhouse was kind of shoehorned into the neighborhood that i lived in and like the the greenhouse like property like touched my backyard so i could just kind of you know crawl out my door in whatever state 
and walk five seconds <laughs> and I'd be there punching in. And I worked with like a group of guys who just were running their mouth all day, every day, funny, <laughs> funny ass guys. Um, and the boss was this really, uh, animated, uh, very colorful, very dirty, um, just kind of, uh, I don't know, like a low key spectacle of a man who <laughs> ran this place. And, um, he, he was one season that I worked there, he was, he was like going through a divorce. And so, um, like we would come in, like he would give us our briefing, you know, every morning he'd be, he would, he would tell everybody what they had to do. Um, and he never delegated. It was always his job to set everybody on their tasks. Um, you know, transplanting or watering or moving, moving pots around or shoveling soil. And so the season that I worked there when he was going through his divorce, like we would come into the office you know, at eight in the morning and we'd all punch in four or five of us and we'd have to stand there and wait. And we'd hear him in his office with the door closed, just sobbing, crying. And we'd have to wait for him to like, you know, and like usually having some kind of heated phone call and we'd have to wait for him to finish up with this morning uh, emotional purge. And then he'd come out and um, this guy, he also really loved Cher and so um <laughs> that's great he, divorce music yeah and so he, and he'd say like kevin all right now uh, here's the deal uh you can go ahead and leave early today i'm sending everybody home early today because i'm going up to pittsburgh to see Cher. and then he, <laughs> he came back the next day and he said like said kevin i'll tell you what she is not like those other singers where it's all done in the studio she can really sing it was amazing um, and he was always saying really dirty off color stuff to the high school kids that worked there. And, um, you know, and, but like generally he, he was a good dude, you know, yeah. he treated, he treated people well. And he had this little, this little greenhouse empire tucked into this residential area. And so he was kind of like the mayor of the neighborhood pretty much. And yeah. I have a lot of good memories of working there get off on a lunch break and go up the street to the sandwich shop and get and me and like my friend Jimmy, we'd get hoagies and then our friend Stevie would come and we'd sit on my porch and me and Jimmy would eat our sandwiches and Stevie would just drink from like a little pint container of fireball and smoke cigarettes <laughs> and the, and he wouldn't eat anything. And then <laughs> that was his lunch. Around, yeah. yeah. We'd walk back around the corner and go to work. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm jealous of that experience. I've only ever had like, you know, low wage like uh like uh like working for like corporations and shit and like mm -hmm. you know, like Lowe's and shit. And I worked for Whole Foods for a little bit and it was like and, and those like I feel like in like those smaller mom and pop businesses i I mean like in the in the in like the bigger stores it's like you have like, the, you're either, there's two kinds of people, right? Like there's the people who really buy into like the, the corporate bullshit and want to like be promoted. And they're generally managers or in some sort of leadership role. And then there's literally everyone else, right? Like right. people who care to varying degrees of shit about this job, right? And so 
of course i was like the lowest of the totem pole working like stocking groceries and shit early in the morning and and stuff like that or pulling hay out of the the trailer and water and flowers but you know i feel like every conversation i ever had on those jobs with some of my coworkers was just like you know god how bad this sucks and you know like other places that were paying better like whenever i was stock groceries at whole foods there was this high schooler who who worked with me in the in the evening shifts and he would he'd just tell me he's like you should just go work at costco man like they pay better they give you benefits and you don't have to do this shit anymore everything's on pallets and then he'd like bring me a piece of pizza because i think he could tell that i was like so low <laughs> I, like, I didn't care quite it quite as much as he did <laughs> he was trying to help me out but Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, memories of my coworkers through the years are are the you know, that's the, that's the best part of those jobs is that I got I got those interactions and they'll always stay with me of just like people I mean, like I said like the guys that I worked with at at the greenhouse were all just funny as fuck and they're just cutting up and riffing all day and I worked with this dude who would say things in all sincerity, he'd say like, man, you know what my dream is, dude? My dream is to be in a fucking porno. That'd be fucking <laughs> rad, man. And then there'd be like another guy there who was just egging him on the whole time. He'd be like, he'd be like, he'd be like, hell yeah, Devin. That's fucking badass, dude. You should be in a fucking porno. That sounds super, so badass, man. Yeah. I bet you'd be great at that, Devin. <laughs> I can hook Uh, you up with my cousin. Yeah. that was where I first was introduced to the to the music of Michael Knight. Do you know this guy? He's like No. a country rap guy, uh, and he's got like he this What was the again. guy? I'm He thinking was of someone who did like a song with like Jason Aldean back in the day. That wasn't him though. I can't remember his name. I think this guy is like too low rent to be uh, mixing with Jason Aldean and a song called Chain Smoking Whiskey Drinking Son of a Bitch. Or the thing that I heard about Michael Knight was that. all kinds of people get all kinds of people to sign up for like his street team and like terrible things would happen to them. Like they would like, you know, go missing for days at a time or they'd be involved in like auto accidents and, and insurance fraud would happen or I, I, I don't know. Um, so Allegedly, yeah, that's that's insane, man. That's so funny. <laughs> did you speaking of music? Did you see Brad Paisley's new song? Uh, no, I think you were telling <laughs> me about it. yeah, uh, Brad Paisley has a has a new song out um, with a with a with a key uh, a, a guest feature from President Vladimir Zelensky of the Ukraine. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So And I was just blown away to see that that happen. That's the collab I think we've all been waiting for, man. is it like the president of the Ukraine <laughs> is speaking on the track? yeah, so I was listening to it, and it's pretty, it's really bad, actually, um, surprisingly, right? I knew you were probably going to be a big stand. But there were moments, like in the beginning, uh, for like the first maybe like two minutes of the song, It's just like, you know, Brad Paisley doing his guitar, a little side guitar in the back, whatever, and singing. But there were harmonies, 
in the chorus and i was like there's no way that that's Zelensky singing harmony on this and i was like well where does he come in then and yeah there's like a phone call embedded in it uh where where brad paisley calls <laughs> who i imagine to be a fairly you know busy man these time of day uh to to, to ask vladimir Zelensky just to say hi and basically just tell him you know he asks him how to say the title of the song in uh, in in Ukrainian, or um, yeah, I'm guessing it's Ukrainian. And uh, he goes, uh, "How do you say same here in your language?" And he tells him, and he's like, "Oh, that's real cool. Thanks for talking to me." And that's kind of the extent of the song, uh, the feature at least. The song itself is kind of it's really hilarious. Like there's. It's about basically how, you know, we all, every, we're just as connected to Ukraine as uh, you would imagine. We all have families, we all have brothers, we all have soldiers that we've sent to war and whatnot, so. Uh, trying to picture, like, yeah, you're the president of the Ukraine and an aide comes in and says, you know, Mr. Zelensky, do you have time today for the call from Brad Paisley? But I guess it makes perfect sense because, you know, he is a major American celebrity. So yeah. um, the Allstate know, guy or whatever is he's, he's turned into selling insurance and playing guitar riffs. Um yeah, I was just kind of blown away just thinking about that, too. And just like, you know, the that kind of fascination with. Uh, I don't know why, why Brad Paisley feels like he has to do that. Or or has the idea to do that in general, like, I, I mean, it is fascinating. Are people in like uh, uh, up in Thomas like. It seems like I see more and more Ukraine stickers on people's cars here and like yard signs and shit too, you know, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's some kind of uh yeah, it's very, uh, it's very virtue signally. It's very flag wavy. <laughs> it's strange right. too. It's like, uh, you know, like all, all these, like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really strange because I feel like you know that the justification for the war is it's almost like as much nationalism that i can remember seeing around like iraq you know like after that after september 11th everybody had those like power of pride bumper stickers with like the flag on them do you remember those i don't know if i remember those specifically but i definitely remember that era <laughs> yeah yeah then then and then there was also country music from that too right like there was toby keith and uh you know dad, alan jackson <laughs> my dad was super into that that uh toby keith record that had the courtesy of the red white and blue on it <laughs> yeah. he made a he made like a a big like uh is that the frame... boot in your ass song yeah we'll put a boot in your ass <laughs> yeah. it's a shame because toby keith has got has got a lot of great songs just like big time 90s country bangers and then he came in hot with that with that crap but um i'm a big fan of ain't as good as i once was that's one of yeah. my favorite one of my favorite 90s country jams um i remember around that time my dad he like framed up out of wood uh i don't know probably like a like a 
six foot by four foot American flag and then strung it up with red, white, and blue Christmas lights. And he hung it on the side of the house, uh, you know, at Christmas time. And my Just like, to uh, let everyone know, like, let everyone know. Uh, it's already like such a, such a, um, in, intensely, uh, you know, uh, the, it's it's a predominating military culture where I grew up anyway, so I guess it's just sort of being part of the part of the clan. But he really liked that Toby Keith stuff when it came out. Um, yeah, know. was um, I want to talk about me, Toby Keith too. Hmm. You know what that song? It? I want to talk about me. Oh yeah. yeah. Is that Toby Keith? Yeah, I want to talk about me. Want to talk about I? <laughs> yeah. Talk about number one. Oh my me my. That's a banger too. Yeah, that's yeah. also that's also a banger. I mean, he's he's one of the he's one of the biggest selling he he was one of the biggest selling country artists ever. I think even before his nine eleven material, yeah, you know, hit the shelves, and it only probably grew after that because I feel like that was playing constantly on CMT. You know that yeah, that totally. music video and shit. He played at Trump's inauguration too. I oh, believe. Shit. I didn't know that. I uh, could be wrong about that. I think he or or he played at a campaign rally. Yeah, probably not the inauguration. That doesn't sound right. But maybe like a campaign rally. Yeah, yeah, and it made me so so like the the Brad Paisley Zelensky thing made me overall just kind of think about the fascination with country music and the military because it's not so much like you know the the uh the country itself anymore like like maybe it once was you know but now it's just like the military it seems like every like there was a turning point i feel like when every time i watched a country music video there was a damn soldier coming back from war in it no matter what happened you know in the song that there was some overlaid narrative about like a soldier coming back from war yeah and that was like the better part of like, I want to say like maybe even over a decade, some shit. And obviously Iraq has something to do with it, but also just this like, you know, romanticizing of, of, of like conflict <laughs> and military culture, you know, even wars we don't even fight in now, apparently. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's not really like that's the thing about I mean that that um I think Americans are great at is that it's like that doesn't really like it doesn't really signal any kind of like uh um thought out engagement with the particulars of that situation or the facts of that situation. It's really about um I don't know. Yeah, it's this sort of uh, need to be on the right side of history, but without any substance to it. I don't really know a lot about the conflict over there, to be honest with you. I know that it's fucked. Um, and I just think it's really great that the president of Ukraine <laughs> managed to, you know, find time to take a call from brad paisley while all of these like horrors of war are uh going on in his in his country while this yeah 
Yeah, we can only hope that this is some sort of that they take the song and use it as some sort of national uh, propaganda or hell, even national anthem for Ukraine now and really, really like uh, begin to help them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't need to make light of it, but uh, I do hope that Brad Paisley and Vladimir Zelensky just collaborate and make a full album sometime. At the so. very least, I hope that some part of that money is going to, you know, in a <laughs> yeah. form of aid to people who are the victims of of uh, the atrocities of war. Um, <laughs> probably some small percentage of it, I'm sure, is on yeah. paper or something. Yeah, I think uh, they said something about that on the on the album. I'll have to check it, but. Uh, Actually, no, never mind. The cover is just, it looks like uh, a note that someone, like a high schooler or a middle schooler, had passed in class. And it has a globe drawn on it in colored pencil. And it says, same here on opposite sides of the globe. It says, Brad Paisley featuring President Vladimir Zelensky. Really strange. Uh, I yeah, I can see it right yeah same here and it's like no not the same like you're talking about like uh one country being invaded by this vastly superior military power and you know being stepped on right as i don't know i mean as opposed yeah. to people returning to our country after fighting in wars that we started to <laughs> obliterate you know countries yeah, exactly. with inferior militaries and it's like that is obviously not the same but it's great that we can always find a way to sort of inject ourselves into you know these global narratives um yeah. but via this route of uh we we understand because because our boys have gone and and fought in the wars too we've lost people too and, and like that is true but the nature of yeah. <laughs> conflict of being uh, america just being a country that is that is just kind of the same as russia as being an initiator of conflicts that they know right. that they can dominate in uh, it's yeah i don't know yeah i mean he continues vladimir Zelensky also continues to like pop up in random places in american culture too like he was on the grammys i think it was the grammys it may have been like the emmys one of those award shows he like had a speech in as well did you watch his like address to uh to congress did mm -hmm. you see that it was it was strange it was like a, it was in the past but it was just i don't know i'm just always fascinated about like him because he was obviously a, a comedian in ukraine right and like rose to power or was elected to power however um and then i mean he was elected but you know um and then he he uh he like comes over here and every appearance he like looks he's like in an under armor fit t-shirt you know <laughs> like tucked into to like uh like cargo pants <laughs> it's pretty sick he looks like pretty much like my dad. Like he dresses like my dad. So uh -huh. Pretty uh -huh. sick. It's a good yeah. look. Um, I should I should be uh, better and better informed on so many different things. I I really uh, I really uh, right around the time that I, I would say it was about this time last year that 
I started to really, uh, I started to really pull back from like, uh, pull back from the news cycle because I couldn't find anywhere I could go where I could get uh, just kind of overwhelmed by, yeah, by uh, the the amount of information available about things that I seem to be completely powerless over. Um, yeah. It's also just like entertainment for people, right? Like no one, I mean, that's the shitty thing that I wrestle with, with politics too, is like, um, it like becomes almost like addictive just to watch how bad everything gets, you know? And it's like a form of entertainment because it's not like, you know, it's not like the revolution's tomorrow or anything. I mean, I wish it was, but like, you know, it like takes, it takes so much time to kind of, to get anything, uh, kind of, to kind of go in and, and, uh, it can really take over the nihilism part of your brain and just suck you in. Or at least for me, I'm just always like, sometimes just like going to the news just to see how, how sick it is sometimes. <laughs> I've got, yeah, I, I definitely felt like I developed a, uh, um, I developed some, like during, during the height of COVID, I developed an addiction to upsetting news, like a reverse mm -hmm. dopamine fix. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it was. There was something that I was clicking on about some new disease or something that somebody was showing me and i was like oh wow i felt something kind of switch on there where like i wanted to uh <laughs> i wanted to know more about it i took a lot of discipline to actually kind of distance myself from it because i didn't think it was productive um but yeah, yeah there's 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 yeah there's a weird uh uh it's there's an addictive nature to it also found that i'm like kind of have definitely am sort of traumatized by uh people around me uh when they appear to be like actively checking messages uh on their phone because there was a period where it seemed like every time somebody flipped their phone over to listen to a voicemail or check a message it was like one out of every three times you know through this period it was like the latest news about like your COVID exposure, like yeah. community COVID exposure. And now every time somebody is looking at their phone around me, I get a little twinge of like, Oh boy, Oh boy. <laughs> what's, what's coming down the pike now? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I feel that too, especially during the pandemic and just like being, yeah, constantly, you know, worried about everything that's kind of happened. Um, Dude, I forgot to tell you, I almost burned down my my house. Like, yeah, uh, let's yeah, let's is... do that. <laughs> so, uh, it was we cooked dinner, and I made like uh, like a like a pasta in the in the Dutch oven, and I use a wooden spoon, right? And uh, this wooden spoon I have kept and cherished throughout the years, and you know whatever. It, I, I like to use it. Uh, it just feels right in the hand, you know. One of the it's my of my arsenal of cooking, uh, like spatula spoons and whatever. This was always the first one. Like even if I was making like something where it wasn't quite the right tool, I was always gonna use it. Anyway, it was getting really like stained and nasty, and I was like, I'm gonna revitalize this, and 
I was like, well, I'll just throw it in the dishwasher, like, whatever. And um, uh, we closed the dishwasher, you know, started it, whatever. And we started watching TV. And um, I just noticed the smell that was like, this place is on fire. Like, I've smelled this before. It smells just like fire. Ugh, and I was God. like, fuck, it's the dryer. Because the dryer was also running. I was like doing a load of laundry and I was like, fuck, our dryer. Because we live in an apartment and like, honestly, no one's cleaned out the dryer in like, you know, like quite a long time. There's probably some lint buildup back there, whatever. Wouldn't surprise me. So anyway, I go in the laundry room, move the, wash, the washer and dryer out, take everything out. I'm smelling it. I'm smelling it. I don't smell it there. I'm like, I, th I don't think this is it. And then I start opening the windows. I'm like, maybe it's just outside. Maybe somebody's just burning. Maybe I'm just tripping out. So open the windows and I'm like, all right, I'll just go like sit down, continue watching. We watched like maybe 30 more minutes of TV and I'm like, you know, like I'm pretty sure like something's on fire and I'm walking through the kitchen, I'm smelling and I get to the dishwasher and I'm like, holy shit, this is it. Cause it's really hot. Like it's finished. It's like drying. And I open the dishwasher, man, and it's like a plume of smoke just fills the living the the kitchen. And the the fire alarm surprisingly didn't go off, but it goes off every time I like uh, make something in the oven over four fifty. It's just one of those things. I don't know what it is, but I close it quickly, and I'm like, "Fuck!" Like something in there is on fire, and I'm like, "What is it? What could it be?" I was like, maybe something just melted, you know, maybe that's just it. I open the dishwasher, I'm like fanning the smoke, I pull out the bottom, and on like the little, um, like, hot plates on the bottom, there's my wooden spoon, just like incinerated. Oh and <laughs> it was like damp where some of the water on the top has fallen off, so it was just really smoky. I reached in there with tongs and got that thing. Dude, it was like, I'll have to send you a picture of it, man. But it was so close to being a disaster. Like, I was so close to just being like, fuck this. This is all in my head. I'm just going to go to bed. But, like, I don't know why my phone, you can't see it. You on have here. to text I'll, it to me. I'll send it through the wire. Uh, but, yeah, completely cooked, man. I was terrified. I'm glad that you didn't burn your house down. Uh... <laughs> well, it would have been mine and also, like, I guess, like, the 15 other people that lived in, in this building. So, uh, yeah, it would have been a pretty bad, would have been a pretty bad day. Well, the funny thing is, actually, like, two days before this, the apartment building beside me literally caught on fire. And I saw the fire truck and I saw people running out with their animals. And I was like, God, that would suck so bad, like... Thankfully, you know, like in all the years I've rented and lived in apartments, I've somehow been able to avoid the fire. And then lo and behold, if two days later, I almost burned this bastard down. <laughs> I've definitely, I've definitely been a party to some almost burning some rental places down uh, for sure. I lit a, I lit a meatball sub on fire under the boiler <laughs> one time. I stuck this leftover meatball sub under the broiler, not really understanding. Somebody was like, Oh, just turn on the broiler and I like didn't understand exactly what a broiler did. <laughs> and what a broiler does is it incinerates your food if yeah. it goes longer than three or four <laughs> minutes. I I smell the smoke, I open the oven, and it's this literally it's this meatball fireball on like a tray. <laughs> 
and I had to like I like yanked it out of the oven and kind of like chucked this flaming sandwich across the room into the sink and and uh turned the sink on and that was that um <laughs> another time my I was I was at my friend's apartment and this was definitely like a tinderboxy kind of place like an old place uh, an old two unit apartment building with like a wooden porch and the whole thing we were making popcorn you put they put like too much oil down in this thin bottomed like steel pot turned it up too high and realized that it could smell the smoke coming from the kitchen and my friend kind of like tilted the lid off of it and that like allowed enough oxygen to rush in to create a fireball <laughs> and so he rushed it out onto the porch and fortunately one of my other friends was there it was the only person who had the presence presence of mind to just get baking soda and dump it on there and so it was done but it was a flaming pot on this wooden porch with a very low ceiling and we're thinking maybe we're going to burn this place but the real <laughs> but the but the the most important detail of this is that it happened this event happened during the mountain state forest festival um and <laughs> that um it, the, it happened during the mountain state forest festival during like the grand feature parade on friday night and so it's sort of like everybody gets together to like drink and party whether or not they're going to the parade or not and the and this literally happened during the part of the parade where every fire truck for like 50 miles around like rolls through the streets of Elkins. <laughs> so you know it was it was uh i don't know if that's like ironic or what surely they keep at least one active fire truck and uh you know a crew on hand just in case any real emergencies happen but we were kind of listening to all the fire trucks going by thinking like well uh if this if this popcorn fireball actually catches this apartment building um you know we might be fucked because most of the firefighters in the area are currently like standing on top of their trucks <laughs> driving really slow through town waving at everybody right now uh, yeah tossing smarties Pixie yeah, smarties. Yeah, <laughs> I lived with uh, one of my friends in grad school. He was like, he didn't go to grad school with me, but he um, he he lived in the town and he had a he had a house. So I I rented a room off of him, and uh, there were definitely some close encounters with with fire there. And I would have felt really bad if I would have burnt my my friend's house down. Like burning a rental property is one thing, but literally burning your friend's house that they have like a mortgage on would be pretty, pretty bad. But like we would, we would religiously, um, go, go out to, uh, whatever kind of event was happening downtown that night, hanging out with friends, whatever. Um, and, uh, Wilmington was like kind of a strange place downtown. Like there was no late night food and, uh, there were there were like taco trucks occasionally or like a taco spot, but like if you wanted and and maybe there was like one pizza place, but like if you wanted something else, like you're kind of screwed up. But we got kind of sick of that pizza place anyway. So what we would do on our way home is we'd make the Uber driver like take us by uh, the food line and get a couple frozen pizzas and like those oil cans of Fosters, and we just <laughs> nightcap at the house and uh -huh. uh, we'd always like you know hang out, talk shit, and watch youtube videos and cook a frozen pizza and drink those fosters well one night we had been pretty overserved and uh slightly <laughs> distracted and uh 
we just left the pizzas and, and we would cook them at like not the box record. like we wanted those things done quick we would max out the oven you know leave them in there uh <laughs> one night we put two pizzas in man and literally just fell asleep with the <laughs> oven on just burning those things to, like they were ash <laughs> when, when we woke up and it reeked <laughs> and we were terrified that that something bad was gonna happen but uh Luckily, it was just a hell of a job cleaning out that oven. He still got a place to... He would also, like, every year um, after New Year's, we would take our Christmas tree to his backyard after it had, like, dried out for, like, pretty much, like... Actually, it was on the Super Bowl we would often do this. So it was, like, first weekend in February, we would take the Christmas tree, which was still up, you know, dry and dead as hell. And we would take it in his backyard and burn it. Like that was just kind of our, our thing that we would do, burn the Christmas tree. And, uh, there was one time, man, and we lit the thing up, man. And it, it was so close to burning down the neighborhood. Like it <laughs> got up to a branch in one of the tall oak trees and we had to, it, we were, we were, uh, we were terrified, but I have a video of it, of, of this, which I'll definitely have to send to you. And it is, it's quite a, quite a, quite a thing, but yeah, burning down a rental property, I think I would, I would be bummed, but burning down my friend's house, I'd feel like I had owed him something forever, you know? Yeah. It'd be hard to, it'd be hard to bounce back from that for everybody involved. Yeah. I mean, I'm always, I always feel like, I feel like the, people people that i've been around historically are very devil may care about building uh bonfires and i'm always like i never want to be the person who's in charge of the fire i mean i can make a fire not very well it's not that i don't know how to do it but i i always feel like um yeah, I don't know. If other people are building a fire that's like way too big and way too tall, I'm more than happy to just kind of stand back and watch them do that. As long as I'm the one who has, as long as I've made it clear that that fire is not my responsibility. If I <laughs> am the one in charge of making the fire, it's a little baby timid fire that doesn't go very high and that I will happily just let go out because I have such a such a strong fear of uh being overzealous and then the wind coming and the winds on top of the mountain here are are wild um it's just always um it, or often very very blustery and gusty up here and so um you know i can remember making one in my yard last year where the where i invited people over and then i got the thing going and then that wind just started blowing blowing <laughs> the blowing the big embers toward toward my house um toward my apartment and uh said you know what if that's if the only thing if the only thing that had been different in that situation was that i had just sort of let somebody else be in charge of it and the same thing was happening like the wind blowing the embers toward the apartment building that i would be totally fine with it because you know what if it catches on fire it's like it's not my fault that's <laughs> how i feel about it so um yeah i love i enjoy a fire i just don't want to yeah be responsible of it or have it um in my in my dishwasher 
definitely um, don't you definitely don't want it in your dishwasher <laughs> of course why would you have a reason to expect that such a thing could happen the i literally didn't know that water have you put oh. have you put wooden shit in your dishwasher before um i have not it's been I don't think I've lived with a dishwasher since I was like a teenager in my mom and dad's house. So I'm sure that I put wooden <laughs> stuff in that dishwasher, but it's been 20 years yeah. since I've probably been in a place with a functioning dishwasher. So that yeah. concern is, you know, I don't have to worry about that very much. It, yeah. It's a bourgeois problem having a dishwasher. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Burning your so house I, down. I turn I I um at my friend's place oh uh maybe a uh I don't know maybe a couple months ago we had dinner there and they've got a dishwasher that they just use as a drying rack for the dishes that they hand wash because as I learned this dishwasher does not work very well. <laughs> um, yeah, I had that same experience at the house I almost burned down <laughs> like the dishwasher was was defunct. Yeah, it took up great space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was just the, the this you know just a big glorified drying rack for all the hand washed dishes, but I didn't realize that I'd never really done like I had a real go at helping with the dishes at their house before because I'm kind of a lazy prick, and I decided <laughs> that I was gonna help, and then I turned the dishwasher on, and the thing that was kind of fucked up is I think that they, I remember. I was like, is there soap? Where do I put the soap? And they're like, oh, put it in right there. And they were like kind of telling me this, sort of knowing that the <laughs> dishwasher wasn't quite right. Maybe then, he can get it to work, yeah. And I close it up and I turn it on. And after about 10 minutes of what sounded like very little activity inside there, just like big, like a like, just like the big suds started just leaking out the sides of the dishwasher onto the kitchen floor. And to make them make matters worse, I was the only one that was stressed out about it. They were they, my my friends who lit whose place it, it was. They they were like, let's just see what happens. So I'm like, no, we can't do that. You we need to cancel. We need to we need to abort this mission right now. And they're like, nah, it's fine. The attorney, you look at the dishwasher. And it's like all kinds of soap water, just big, frothy, bubbly soap, just just leaking out all over the oh. kitchen floor. And uh, I I was the only one that was concerned about it. Um, yeah, yeah. Home appliance talk. I'll keep it continued because I do think it it's funny because I I I literally had that exact same experience at this house. The dishwasher didn't work, and I didn't know it. I just moved in. And it was the beach, right? So when you, I don't know what was going on with this dishwasher, but when you started it, man, it would just throw sand literally everywhere in your dishes. It would like make it like disgusting. And uh, my dumbass, I ran it once and I was like, that was strange. You know, I don't know. You know, like Jamie didn't say anything about this. Maybe it. I'll just do it again. <laughs> I did it again. These things were filthy when I took them out. They looked like they had been like paper macheed or like, you know, like with like a gluey sand residue. It was, it was disgusting, but how does the yeah. sand get into the, into I, know, the I didn't figure it out, man. I don't know. It is true. It's one of the great truths of the universe that sand is everywhere at the beach. <laughs> Dude, truly, literally everywhere, even in the dishwasher.
there's that certain feeling of like uh if you are on vacation at the beach i won't like when i go there with my parents go to north carolina to the beach and there's like a very particular feeling of like coming in from the outside where it's been hot as hell and you're like but your skin is all pruney and weird because you've been in the water and then you walk into a freezing air conditioned <laughs> unit that is just freezing you out and you're you've been hot all day and suddenly your system is being shocked by this ice cold air conditioning and then on top of that you are sticky from sunscreen and the stickiness from the sunscreen allows the sand to kind of stick to all your crevices and then you get in the shower and you take a hot shower because it's cold as hell from the air conditioning and then you wash yourself off and then the shower like dries your skin out and then you also feel like feverish a little bit from sunburn it's a very specific combination of of sensations that it's seen it's amazing that like every time i find myself in that situation like beach vacation in a hotel or like a rental unit that those set like those sensations are unavoidable you cannot escape them even if you even if you some even if like you don't like leave the place that you're in somehow you're gonna get sand up your ass and you're gonna feel like you've had sunscreen on all day and you're gonna be freezing cold and um and sweaty when you go back out that's the worst when you go back out um i hate that shit yeah i mean one of the first things i do whenever i go anywhere on vacation is like beeline towards the thermostat and especially if it's summer i'm turning that shit down as low as it goes yeah and jane gets so mad but yeah i'm like taking that thing down like i'm not paying for it i'm gonna use the hell out of it and so when i was in chicago a couple weeks ago i was there for a conference in the and the the rooms at the conference were like at the hotel where the conference was were so expensive. I was like, I'm not gonna fucking pay that. You know, like that's insane. Um, so I stayed like a couple blocks up at an older uh, hotel and walk in, check in everything, excited to get to that thermostat. Cause I've been on a plane and speaking of like sensory experiences, man, I literally hate a plane. Like I just feel like no matter how many times I wash my hands, no matter like what clothes I'm wearing, no matter how many times I put on deodorant that day, I'm just feeling like gross. Like I'm, I'm ready to get, I'm ready to just get settled and, uh, walk in the door. Um, and there's no thermostat. I'm looking on every like part of the wall. <clears throat> and, uh, it turns out that they have radiator heat in this room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was, little like in a prison of which I I could not control anything that was going on. I'm I'm like, Oh shit, this isn't going to work. And I'm like, maybe I'll just crack a window. I'll be good. Cause not only, so one of my greatest fears in life also, uh, just like a very, uh, strange anxiety tick I have is I'm going to die of like carbon monoxide poisoning in a strange place. You know, like it's going to take me out. I think that's probably high on the list uh, of ways that uh, could potentially be my demise. And uh, so I'm afraid of it. So I'm like radiator heat. This place is pretty old. Don't know if there's a carbon monoxide detector. I'm going to have to crack a window. 
of course the windows don't fucking open so i'm literally like in this room which is pretty small in chicago which was like 20 degrees at this time but like similar to the beach man like walking outside where it's hot and walking inside where it's cold it's like the exact opposite in chicago man i don't know if it was just me but like outside was freezing anywhere indoors was like uncomfortably hot like uncomfortably hot and uh, i don't know if it's because i was wearing like a puffer jacket or what but uh i didn't sleep at all man that whole trip i was like a zombie Shit. because i was afraid if i dozed off too long uh that that silent killer would take me and i was also just so damn hot i couldn't get regulated man it was it was a challenge for me I to navigate that, the city i think that your fear of uh your fear of carbon monoxide poisoning uh I think that's a totally legitimate fear. Uh, <laughs> shit is dangerous. My uh, my uh, friend here at her house, um, she recently they recently had like a pretty serious carbon monoxide scare, uh, where that thing was going off in the middle of the night, and like they couldn't go back to their house for three or four days. And you know, before they bought this place, they had the building inspectors like do uh you know go through all of the all of the points to make sure that you know this kind of antiquated heating system in this place was going to be you know mostly safe and they thought that they had the green light for it and no i mean it it, it is real for sure um so i think that you're i think you're a reasonable person <laughs> well i appreciate you uh person making me feel normal about that i have a variety of fears which we'll probably unpack on the podcast that uh are probably not so reasonable so i'll i'll ease in uh ease in with that one and let that kind of be it but i'm afraid of so much man i would say that <laughs> that fear is like definitely a presence in a mo motivating factor it like there's something about me i think that just like <laughs> certain situations just like it's like a flip of a switch man like i can be normal and then i can just go from being completely normal to being terrified based on the situation like like swimming in the ocean is another example like i can go out there and have a great time but like i know that it's only a matter of time before i'm like i gotta get the fuck out of here like something i'm gonna drown something's gonna take me yeah get my foot caught right Terrible. yeah you think that you're just there for a nice little splash around, but you don't know is that like the Kraken is waiting for you. Just like you let that current take you out a little too far. I mean, this, <laughs> you know, yeah, God's got other plans. I always, uh, I always have am convinced myself that I've ingested something that I shouldn't have ingested. Like I was eating, uh, like a poison like, or like, yeah, like, yeah. I'm pretty much thinking about poisons of all sorts at all <laughs> times. And like I was eating my favorite snack right now is like wheat thins with just sliced pepperoni. And I'll like, I'll really, really go through that. And for whatever reason, like I got down to the bottom of this bag of pepperoni and I thought that I had eaten like the little do not eat packet. Um, not because I tasted anything like papery in my mouth, but because I was looking at this scant few pepperoni left in this bag and I didn't see the little do not eat packet. So immediately my brain was like, it's in your mouth, bro. And <laughs> yeah. I, I like I spit 
uh, I was sitting next to Karina and I spit this like, like partially chewed pepperoni cracker mixture into my hand. <laughs> she, she was like, what? I was like, I thought that the do not eat packet was, you know, in my mouth. And yeah. Like just, stuck to the bottom of a pepperoni. You didn't see it. you put it on the cracker and I, ate and it. I looked around and I found, I didn't. And I said, wait, I looked in the pepperoni bag found the do not eat packet and then i put the half chewed food just right back in my mouth because there's like nothing wrong with it <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> man that that's crazy i've never i've never known anyone to eat one of those do not eat things but um i've gotten some pretty gnarly food poison and i've definitely been like okay did i just eat some like you know salmonella chicken or some shit because I mean, I'm I'm getting. It's been a while since I've had like pretty gnarly food poisoning. About like when I lived in Pittsburgh, like the first time visiting Pittsburgh, it was like the Exorcist. Man, I went. We went and got like crab ragoons, and I think it was like Jane and I just started dating, and we were in an Airbnb with like a half bathroom with just like a curtain, and I was like <laughs> sick as a dog, dude. It was like one of those crazy like Western PA thunderstorms too that just like get really dark and black and i'm like throwing up red wine and oreos and crab ragoon and it, it's like black and jane's like are we gonna have to go to the er and i was like no i'm good i'm good that was a bonding experience but since then i've been like pretty lucky with food and i mean i kind of let food hang out for a little bit in the fridge and you know i'll give it the smell test and then i'll go yeah. for it but I don't do like raw meat. Like that's one thing that I'm really like paranoid about is like sometimes when I'm cooking chicken, I'll like hammer that shit just cause I, I don't want to get sick. Yeah. Cook the fuck out of it. I, <laughs> I've, I, I've had, I felt like, especially after like working in a restaurant in the past couple of years and, and then also because of all the cooking that I started doing during, during a, a pandemic that I, I got, I'm pretty comfortable with most uh, cooked meat situations and I've got enough practice with it now where I'm generally like feel confident that I can prepare a piece of meat and not have to like overcook it. But I am super cautious about how long, like I'll definitely err on the side of like just chucking shit in the trash if it's been in there for more than two or three days. I don't fuck <laughs> around with that. I've only ever really had serious food poisoning or what I'm sure it's, it had to be food poisoning. Um, um, one time it was probably seven or eight years ago. And I went out to this uh, bar in Elkins that's sort of known for having a kind of like, uh, just like questionable, uh, questionable bar food kind of across the whole menu and i had the mushroom poppers like the fried mushrooms um mm. and i woke up at two in the morning that night and it was just like both ends mm -hmm. um for there. for a solid five hours without stopping and then when it finally when i finally got myself together i drove to gomart at 6 a.m and i got a couple of big gatorades and then i watched and i laid a, and i laid in bed uh got you know laid in bed and i watched titanic and i just like <laughs> i just seriously wept through most of titanic because i was so raw from and dehydrated from being up all night uh with this food poisoning um 
and um that's brutal man it is brutal it's that type of sickness where normally when you throw up uh the thing that's great about it is that the relief that you feel after you throw up is like no other kind of relief when that like when that nausea gag reflex sour stomach thing leaves you and you're Mm -hmm. just sitting there you know on the bathroom floor and you're feeling that relief it's amazing right it feels yeah, like yeah. you could take on the world in it's a, way. a real it's a real humble position to find yourself in like yeah. it's one thing to do it find yourself there after like drinking too much but another thing for like just going to pf changs or whatever <laughs> right like just on the floor it's like what did i fucking do to deserve this because you're like face to face with like <laughs> I don't know. I get that Airbnb in Pittsburgh that I was throwing up and I was just like, I was all over that. Like I was resting my head. Like I was intimate with, with that thing. And, um, yeah, yeah. It's just food poison in general, man. It it is a crazy, crazy thing. I'm lucky that we haven't had it in a while. That's good. Maybe we can keep this streak up. Yeah. I, I hope so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I will, I'm not very cautious about it. I mean, I'll just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. I'll kind of saddle up most anywhere. I'll, I'm, I'll, uh, I'll, I'm not. You can I'm always not, spit it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Take a look at it and throw I, it back I had an experience like that at a, me- at a Mexican, re- I drove like 45 minutes to like uh, a town uh, up the highway from here that was supposed to have like a, a pupuseria and apparently they had like really good um really good pupusas and other um you know his authentic Hispanic foods and I went there and it was closed and I was like god damn it I drove here just for this I drove across town to the El Rancho and like it was, and I love shitty Mexican food, but like, man, they put this steaming plate of whatever, like chimichangas or something, and like, it was, it was rank. It was like, <laughs> it was like foul smelling, you know, rancid, yeah. uh, fryer oil type of, type of, you know, old cheese smell. And I was taking bites of it, and I don't know why I didn't just like get up and pay. And I had to say to the fucking, uh, to the fucking girl working the, work in the register and i was like could i have a box i actually have to go uh, and, then, <laughs> and then i got took this like rant this disgust the most disgusting like mexican food i've ever had in my life and i drove to burger king to get my lunch and i threw the mexican food out in the garbage can in front of burger king went to burger king got my lunch and ate it and then i left um that's the thing with food too is like when it's like when it's gone and turned like you know it you know, like you yeah. can smell it pretty quickly. You can see it. Uh, but, but yeah, some, 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 na- some nasty old chimichangas, man. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to finish that one. I'm just, I'm seasoned, man. I'm seasoned, you know, like I'm not, I, I would like to think that I'm not like, I, I hope that I, I don't think that I'm coming from a place of extreme privilege in this situation. I, I, I have, I have been eating at like, like down and dirty like oh yeah uh, down and dirty white people strip mall mexican places my entire life where it's always a little bit underheated or undercooked or kind of gnar and i've never gotten sick from it 
And rarely have I ever eaten anything at those places that has displeased me. I pretty much always yeah, enjoy it. Same. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I generally go back as soon as possible. <laughs> as soon as I have money to spend, it's top on the list. Yeah, yeah. And some places and some towns I've visited, I've even known to seek it out and look exclusively for it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's funny, man. Like... Yeah, I've definitely rolled the dice a few times, and uh, maybe, yeah. like I said, maybe the streak, maybe the streak continues. Um, I hope so. Yeah, uh, there was that article, um, which is way too long to talk about, but I thought it was funny just because whenever you asked me to send it to you, um, there's an article in the New Yorker uh, that just came out today uh, called "The End of the English Major." Uh, talking about like the enrollment uh, death in humanities programs. And since we're somewhat of a, well, I don't even know what we are, but people like to attribute us as being some sort of uh, literary commentators and or people in the literary adjacent things. Um, I figured we would talk about it, but not only is it hard to access uh, behind a paywall, but when I typed in Google the end of the English major, <laughs> the New Yorker, dog, they have ran like stories similar to this for years uh, now, which I find to be hilarious. Like before there was the, the end of the English major, which was the most recent article, a few, uh, a year or two back, there was one called the death of the English major. And then before that, there was like the death of humanities. And so like, we're, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're in a tradition here of that is vastly dying. And, um, at least to, uh, to the New Yorker and, uh, places like that. But I just found it to be funny. Anytime there's like these articles of, um, like overall, like what they're trying to say, right? Cause they often talk about like the the end of the English major, as if it means like some sort of decline of people who are no longer readers or no longer writers. When in reality, what they're saying is like, people are actually like not willing to pay money for this shit anymore, right? Like that's that seems to be the point that they're actually like reaching, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I want to say I think it's a good theme for the podcast for it to be like a thing that you have either read or seen or listened to that I haven't. And then I can kind of come in with my totally like uninformed uh, half ass hot take on it. But um, we well, you said this this is this one behind a behind a paywall. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just like I, I kind of feel like just just like with that uh, poetry died after T.S. Eliot gobbledygook that I'm I'm not like I will say one time I read an article that was that the thesis was the article was called punk rock is bullshit. And then it was in some kind of Seattle independent publication that was a great argument for everything that that this person thought was wrong for with uh, that genre of music and all everything that it represented uh but you know outside of like very the very occasional actually like well thought out argument i don't really understand the need for the this is the end of 
articles. This is the death of articles, other than the fact that it is something that will stimulate engagement with the content of these media outlets. Like everybody, it's sort of like there's a, there's a, there's like a, uh, this kind of, it's sort of, uh, it's kind of morbid, right? In a way. And there's this, uh, I don't know if the word is fatalism, but it, there's like something about like people, it feels important and it feels upsetting. And it's sort of like everything else that you run across in, in, uh, you know, all forms of media, whether it's news or politics, or whether it's writing about culture and the arts, which is that people, people love to know that the bottom is falling out of something and they, and they yeah. want to click on that. Um, and not, of course, like, the reality is like, yeah, like, of course, people don't want to pay for that shit anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, right before like the paywall kicked me out, there was this moment in the in the piece where um, uh, this uh, uh, the, 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 the author, hold on, Nathan Heller here, uh, is visiting ASU um, and he runs into, I guess, Arizona State and runs into this student there who's a senior. And he talks, he interviews him about reading and liking Don Quixote and being like a writer himself and was like really surprised to see that he's actually a computer science major and not an English major. Uh -huh. And it's like, yeah, I mean, most of these kids are just going where they can, you know, actually get jobs <laughs> now, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like it just seems like such boomer shit that kind of to be uh feel like you have this uh <clears throat> to be a person uh writing something like that with a some kind of uh uh penetrating perspective into the past and how things are are uh, not being it, it, it's it's like um things are not as virtuous as they once were um, and people don't read anymore and people don't, people are not interested in the literary arts anymore. And it's just not true. If yeah. you want to know what people are actually, actually interested in and what people actually love visiting students on a college campus who are in the middle of a semester is not a great place to find that out. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> Unless they're just talking about like, you know, going to parties or whatever, you know, like, or right. whatever yeah. else you're trying to fucking do in college, like make friends or get laid or whatever. Right. Like what? that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah, it is really si silly premise that all of these, uh, demise articles, but maybe it connects back to what we were talking about earlier and just like the news just being a constant place for our own anxieties. And so like, of course the New Yorker read by like probably a bunch of fucking academics on the East coast and West coast, right. And, well, anywhere in the U S right. Uh, probably just love to think about how they're a part of something that's dying or will never quite be as good as it once was. Right. Um, and 
we've seen this shit, and we'll have to talk about this on other another episode because I want to, I want to, I want to mention this for sure because it's definitely interesting. But have you been following this shit about like Chat GPT, the AI program? People have. <clears throat> there have been some people around me. Uh, one of my friends is is a Montessori teacher, and they've been talking about how it's something that's been coming up. Uh, in the conversation around their classrooms. I have another friend who works in tech and and she's been talking about it. I don't really understand it other than that it's like uh, uh, like it's AI driven um, um, internet searching and it will uh, you know it yeah I, I don't I don't know yeah. much about it other than that like you can like punch very specific things into it and it will generate um you know like yeah, writing yeah. something in the style of uh of, yeah, uh, yeah you know like faulkner or whatever yeah it's kind of like a like um uh, an amazon alexa that you just ask to like write something for you so like people in academia are like terrified that like students are gonna use this to like write a research essay or something that that uh you know they're assigning them to do and shit but it it comes up in this article from what I could see uh, that they were talking about again, like this rise of AI being a marker of like the death of 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 English uh, writing, reading, literature, and all of that. And uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll do an episode in the future on it. But if people in academia are concerned about the decline of like scruples in their students, then maybe they themselves, they themselves should try being fucking scrupulous. Like during like the pandemic, when classes were like so many things were being moved online, like it was literally like students like paying full tuition for like pre-recorded seminars on youtube and shit you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? right. like so it's like as far as i'm concerned that's tip for tat like if you're not getting like a real classroom experience or you're dealing with these like insanely overworked teachers who don't have time to like deal with you or like overprivileged teachers who wouldn't deal with who wouldn't take the time for you no matter what then like why not have a fucking robot write your essay um <laughs> if the point is that it's going to get you to an end point to get a degree and go get a job. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's like just such a, there's been such a decline in what is actually available for college students to, as far as like the getting the experience of like the culture of a classroom and the exchange of a classroom, because so much happens online now. I, you know, I just think it's like, it, it is something that's fading, but it's not, but it has nothing to do with the fact that people are not interested in the arts or bettering themselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, anything you want to say before we, before we head out? I just want to say that I thought that I, and I feel a little bit, I uh, felt a little bit woefully unprepared for a discussion of, uh, of the, of the Russia, Ukraine, <laughs> uh, situation and i and i sincerely hope that there's not hasn't been some kind of uh major development in it that uh matt that everything that i said was uh off base so i, th I um, think the major development was what we covered brad paisley uh vladimir Zelensky collab so i think we're good on that front so 
I wouldn't worry. I think uh, I think everything you need to know about the conflict is uh, embedded in the lyrics of that song. So and, if you and just if like you take everything, that, and just like for people looking for a time capsule of the pandemic, everything that they need to know about that time period, the height of the pandemic, is pretty well summed up in Van Morrison and Eric Clapton's anti-lockdown song. So <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, yep. So everybody go and check that out. Yep, and the Iraq War is Toby Keith, right? So yeah. uh, you can these literally, are, yeah. These are the torchbearers of <laughs> of uh, of our uh, our of our times yeah our... dare we call them uh literary icons uh <laughs> i'm fine with that you uh -huh. I'm yeah cool me with too it. yeah me too all right well thanks for listening everybody uh share the podcast with one of your friends or people who you think would would like it and um we'll catch you next time see you soon thanks for listening see ya Talk, whatever you